Hi, this is Tim Krolski. Most people might think they know what goes on in the life of a truck driver, but we thought it was time to understand the person that operates the truck, to find what actually drives them, and what really goes on before and after the brakes get set. Welcome to Garner Trucking's Beyond the Cab. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cab. My name's Tim Krolski, I'm your host, and here with me today I have John Tupelik. Uh, he currently resides in Finley, Ohio, but the story doesn't begin there. Um, going back a little way, John, t- talk to me a little bit about your childhood, about uh, growing up, and, and how we get to Finley, Ohio. Uh, well, uh, I grew up in Coldwater, Michigan. I lived on a, uh, a farm, 40-acre farm, and um, had, a, had a great childhood. I got to... Uh, uh, work on the farm which is uh, being small like that you have to do everything yourselves you have to be somewhat self-reliant and my uh, uh, my father worked for an iron foundry and my mom was a stay-at-home mother and so um, I got through that I got to go uh, small town life living six miles out of town and uh, so I got to do a lot of things in my childhood that maybe my children didn't do here maybe a lot of children yeah. A lot of children. I'm, I grew up a city boy, so yeah. you know, I don't I, mean, I don't know or understand that lifestyle yeah. either. Well, we again, we had a bunch of farm animals. We had uh, chickens, cows, pigs, uh, horses, and so you know we did our own. You know, when we needed meat, we went out and did that, or we went out hunting. Right. And uh, so we got to do a lot of those things, and so it teaches you a variety of things, which was a large variety. And then I went to. Uh, Western Michigan University for accounting and uh, found out I didn't like accounting after I got out of it moved to Detroit went <laughs> and uh, took an accounting job and didn't like it so wish I had done an internship it's uh, uh, and maybe I've gone into finance instead but it was interesting and then uh, worked at a bowling center and was the uh, became a general manager there for about 10 years Okay. And then is that up in Michigan or that was in Detroit? In, okay. And then uh, after that, uh, I went to work for a uh, packaging company, and uh, with family, they needed a, a, a supervisor. Uh, one of the family members was a, a general manager. He had three plants underneath him and needed uh, some supervisory help. And so I started at the bottom in the packaging industry and went through all the uh, supervisory positions, uh, which included logistics and the uh, the shipping department. And uh, from there, uh, I had an opportunity to run a plant down here in Finley, and uh, which was uh, it was a small plant, and we uh, mainly had a customer was Toyota, and with them, um, they moved, and it was a uh, it was a opportunity that was that was good. I had within the plant up in Detroit, I had an opportunity to do a uh, I, I got to move to a specialty plant and uh, got to work with people that were the minimum wage. They, we actually bust them into the plant and to run that operation. And then uh, things went very well there. And then uh, they got some new owners and uh, just didn't care for what was the changes that were being made. Then left, came to Finley and ran a plant that was, uh, when I came in, I came in as this change agent and then the uh, was a plant that we had about uh, 22 plants or so, and uh, it was at the bottom. And in 18 months, it turned it into the second most profitable within the within the company. Outstanding. 
Outstanding. You t- we talked a little bit earlier about um, you know that manufacturing world and the world of uh, um, packaging and how important that is. Regardless of what you're talking about, you're going to need packaging for it. And um, you know, kind of alluded to you know getting that opportunity to get out and see other plants and see manufacturing facilities. And you know from from a driver's perspective, we get to see that stuff. And we get to see a, a, a snippet of it, right? Mm-hmm. You'll see some amazing machinery or something, or re- really don't get a chance to put that stuff into context. And I know for myself, I've uh, been fortunate uh, on the backside of sales and those types of things where I can get out and I can see that machine that, that makes this particular component or does this particular thing and the thousands of parts that, that, that are required to get that thing to move. What, uh, what in your experience kind of really amazed you in terms of the, ma- the manufacturing world, the, um, the, the, the process, you know, it may not be a machine, but the process. The th- uh, thing that uh, amazed me most is that there were kind of, manufacturing was, it, regardless of what the industry was, it is kind of settled onto a couple of different facts. The fact that you had some that were more hands-on, more people-orientated, as opposed to tech-orientated. And uh, p- places that were had people-orientated, people that had been there for a while, um, if, so, if they had a problem, it was no sweat, they could handle it, and in a few minutes it would get taken care of. Sometimes in the tech plants where the high tech, you had some a machine go down because it was doing hundreds if not thousands of pieces a, a minute or an hour or whatever the, it was. There would be one or two people there, then it'd be in a couple of minutes there would be five people there, and in ten minutes the whole world would be there <laughs> because it made that much of an impact or a difference on them. Um, the thing that I also liked best about packaging and a little bit about the as same as that carries over in trucking is you get to see different things of how people handle different issues and sometimes the solutions that you see in a different industry can be applied to your to, own to your own for or, sure or to another industry so it's it's the variety that is Interesting. Well, I, and I, I absolutely agree with that thought process. We have a gentleman here that um, originally is from the manufacturing background, and f- for for my own value, my own sanity, he's always the individual that brings up the what if of of you know the situation because he's looking at it from a totally different background. So, to your point, that really is invaluable to have that kind of outside expertise to at least push and, and, and let an organization evolve, or it could be as something as simple as this one problem, you know, the, this widget isn't getting made right, and what can we do to fix that? And, and sometimes the problems come, the solutions come from people outside of that factory or industry or whatever, right. somebody else walking by and going, oh, yeah, well, you know. Yeah, because things are, are, aren't as obvious to those that are doing it every yeah, day. Yeah, you're programmed to do this, and... Now they get to see it from, I wish I thought of that. Right. <laughs> I totally agree. So kind of rounding back to the family a little bit. I know we have uh, a son and a daughter. Both are not close to home, no. uh, but both very successful. And tell me a little bit about what's going on there Well, uh, or what my, you can share. <laughs> well, no, well, my wife is in the, or I should say my uh, daughter is in the, uh, is down in Omaha, and she sells insurance 
to all the sororities and fraternities. Okay. Uh, Start they're with the, mutual, is she? No. They're the, <laughs> well, actually, the company that they're with is the only one who sells the insurance to the fraternities and sororities, which okay. I found amazing. That is amazing. There's only one company throughout the United States that does it. Yeah. Um, and just think about that. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of fraternities and sororities. And there's a lot of it, it's there's a lot of risk. Um, she started out actually uh, in a sorority, and then after she graduated, the sororities, the uh, one of them hired her to go to the different chapters to make sure that they were following the national rules. Okay. So she had the opportunity to do that in. Part of the national rules is they always like to make sure that they can get insured, and so that they each chapter has to follow that. Follow those guidelines. Yes, and so she had a lot of contact within the insurance industry, and then they called her and asked her, "Hey, would you like to work for us?" And so now she she does that, and because she has the familiarity and the background of what actually happens, she's actually progressing because she's was with the sororities for three years. And they have a variety of issues that pop up, as you do with as, every as child that is 18, 19, and 20 yep. years Amen. in those, in the formation <laughs> years. <laughs> yep, and, and a few drops of alcohol, and I imagine that exacerbates the problem a bit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. And then your son, and he's he's out west as well, right? He, he is, he, yes, he is, uh, what's interesting with him is he works for a consulting firm, and he lives in Seattle, and they fly him every week to... Uh, to California to work for one of the uh, the high-tech companies okay uh, and they he so he flies out on Monday morning and flies back on Friday morning and uh, it's just it's amazing the uh, uh, the things that happen with it that we would take for granted uh, that they just don't Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's a lot of simple solutions to age-old problems, and it's just uh, and he's it's just very interesting. That's all. I can't talk a lot because we're not there's confidential. Sure, yeah, but it's, I can respect but that it, it is is but it, the things are is that it's just you'd be amazed. Mm-hmm. So and he's um, he went and got his master's degree, and now there he's been recruited by a couple different companies to come in and. Well, come work for us. We don't want you as a consultant anymore. We would like to have you nice. with us. Yeah, so it's, it is nice. He's, he's He does very well, but it's just, it's one of the daddy moments where you can say, yeah, I d- we did well. Mom, <laughs> Mom we well, did great well job. for both great of them. Job. So they're they're both just kicking it. And, and of course, uh, you know, you can't beat the California sun and being on the beach. And yeah, it's probably a, a tough life, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what brings you then to trucking? How do, how do we how do we leap forward to that? Well, I uh, one of the things that I did is uh, again I was a logistics and uh, uh, shipping supervisor, and then when I got to Finley, that was one of the uh, the pieces that was had fallen apart down here for the plant here. So was able to put that back together and uh, become more productive. Um, Within our customer base, you have contracts, and some of the uh, issues that we had was uh, we're supposed to deliver twice a day to somebody, and we end up delivering five and six times a day. Okay. So it was a tremendous cost. Well, no one had gone out to recoup 
those type of costs. They let it go, you know, as a customer service type of thing. Cost of doing business. Yeah, yeah. And, and that was one of the issues. And so um, when I came from Detroit, I came down here, like I said, as a change agent because it wasn't profitable. We weren't, it was a, one of these things where they had a lot of labor, a lot of hands-on, and uh, the issues were some things that I had seen before out of my specialty background of, well, if you alter a machine and take off this portion of it, you can get twice the production out of it. Uh, why are we doing this? Um, can't we do it this way instead? goes back to your point about coming from outside and, and seeing those things that are obvious to you because you're an outsider, not because you're doing it every day, right? Yeah. And the, the other thing, too, was the fact that uh, there was unique personnel there. We had, a, for an example, a, a person could make this one part. She was very, very, very good, very quick at it, could outdo anybody two or three times faster. But there were other people that wanted that job because it seemed easy. Okay. So how do you overcome that and saying, no, even though this isn't a union situation, we're going to put here, her there because she's twice as effective. And she had some issues that uh, she had a child that was 15 years old getting in trouble. So I would make some allowances for her to come in late or leave early so that society doesn't have to pace the price down the road. And that was offensive to some people. Okay. I have to be here from 7 to 3. You let her come in at 6 and work till 2. Or you let her come in at 8 and work till four how come I can't do that and that was one of the one of my best moments I think as well as getting across that you have to be flexible and you have to be compassionate can you do it for everybody no but when you see something that you can correct and you have the authority to correct it and make that decision even though you know you're going to take some criticism for it that's that was cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the, and the other portion that brought me into trucking is the, the logistics part. It was the piece that fell apart that I had experience with, putting it together, and then, you know, turn nickels into dimes. <laughs> well, you're certainly an integral part of the fleet. Um, uh, we appreciate the fact that you're here, uh, you know, a part of the driver advisory board. How, how's your experience been so far with that? Good. I get to be the, the uh, I'm known to be the argumentative. But, well, <laughs> but somebody's that is, got to be. Right? But, the, 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 but the best solutions usually come from that because it forces other people to look at things in different ways. And hopefully when you get done, you have five different or six different things that two of them are just no-goes. Uh, and then you get a combination of ideas and facts to give you the one solution that'll work. Mm -hmm. And so if you argue, be argumentative or look at something to create some controversy, at the same time it creates a better solution because then when you're done, the solution you come up with is something usually that everybody can agree on. Right, you so know, you've got your buy-in. Yeah, and you can throw, you're always going to have two or three ideas you're going to just throw out. And there are going to be two or three ideas that rise to the top, but may not be the total 
solutions. So you can pick from idea number three and number four and piecemeal them in to become the, the number one solution. Sure. So it's an interesting thought process to get there, but uh, I think you have to have those components that everybody's kind of pushing and pulling, um, you know, with one another, not against each other, but yes. uh, with one another to be able to come up with those solutions. Because at the end of the day, that's what makes it work in the first place. It's the people that makes it work. Well, the thing is, is you also need the solution. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. At the end of the day, yeah, we need some resolve. We need some resolve. I um, I, I know you. You stumbled a bit. We were talking a little bit about some of the questions and things and that we wanted to talk about today. And um, one of the big ones that I, I just am interested to know what your thought process is, is would be a, a common myth about trucking that uh, you can debunk. And did you have something that came to mind for that particular thought? Um, the the that most truck drivers are stupid. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, well, that's fair well, though. Well, the thing is, is as a myth per se, is that we are that most truck drivers are on the lower end. Yep, they're and, an ape behind the wheel, right? Yep, exactly. Yep. And it's it's an old myth. I think uh, uh, the hard uh, running gun type of stuff out of the 1960s, uh, and it's just not so. I, there are just a lot of a lot of guys that are quality people behind the wheel. Um, you know, just being here at Gardner, we have guys that are engineers, guys that were former Armory Rangers or SEALs or, uh, you know, people that are uh, out of their profession per se for a variety of different reasons. Uh, you know, some of the guys that uh, were out of the, that uh, one of the gentlemen that was out of the SEALs because he was just worn out, his body's yeah. worn out, and, yeah. and it was time to find something else to do that was be a little easier. Uh, a couple of the other guys are engineers that are saying, hey, you know, on, in that field, after you get 50, they really don't want to pay the money for your expertise because we'll get somebody else for right, it. It's, right. It's a math problem. Oh, see, I know we've, you know, we've got a teacher that, 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 that works here, a good career teacher. Um, I know in the past we've had uh, a golf course uh, curator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just uh, there's a number of different amazing stories out there in terms of where people come from and the caliber of who they are, to your point. And I think, I think that is important to, to point out. And I think that the quality of people in, uh, in driving trucks is, uh, is, is huge. It's, uh, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of risk. In driving, especially today, it's worse now than it was when I started. Um, and and it's it's um, it's governed better, isn't that isn't that true? It, it's the a, interesting part of that is is you know how, how much better governance we have in terms of you know our, our our operations folks. They know what kind of day you've had in terms of miles. They know what kind of day you've had in terms of operation. Um, and so does the law, for that matter. <laughs> yes, they, they do. Out instantly yeah. because. There's no, there's no hiding. There's nothing to hide behind. As you're pointing out, you know, those 60s and 70s and the, you know, the the, BJ and the Bear, you know, yeah. type situations, they just can't exist in this day and time. No, they don't. And that's the, that's probably the, the biggest thing about it. And, and uh, you got to pay attention. That's all. <laughs> Absolutely. What would you say you're best known for? Being argumentative. <laughs> Is that that's, there, if there so if there was a trophy, that's what it would say. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so we talked a little bit about some of your previous previous experiences, previous jobs. What would you tell your former boss now that you didn't tell him then? 
Uh, or a former boss, maybe I'll. Um, let let your people do their jobs. Let them let them, especially if they're performing for you. If things are going well, then let them do their job. Uh, that's the that was the biggest thing. You don't need to be hands on all the time. Um, the other thing with with them uh, with actually with uh, with both of my real previous bosses were, you know, um, let the details, let the people that are doing the job, let them do it. Um, it's one of the things I learned when I was in the Marine Corps is you push everything down to the lowest guy and let the guy who's there make the decision as opposed to being at the top trying to... Trying to scrutinize. Yeah. And, I, and I, realize that they will make mistakes. I, I think that... Um, that particular concept is maybe one of the most beneficial things you can know as as a, as a boss, as an owner. You know, if you if you're in any sort of management type position, I think that's the a number one thing that you have to know and respect about people. I had uh, a gentleman that was I consider a mentor many years ago. Now, said um, this very simple statement to me, and it makes it rings true and makes complete sense to this day. If my watch is broken, I don't have to know how to fix the watch. I just need to know someone who does know how to fix the watch. And you have to kind of let those individuals that shine in those specific areas do what they do best. Those those detail-oriented people that, you know, that the finite detail of some situations, you have somebody that's able to handle that. I, we have that here. I'm positive of that. I know those people. I can tell you who they are today. Um, those more global thinkers, we have those here, you know. Those people, you just have to let them do their respective jobs and just kind of keep everything else between the rails, right? Yep. Yep. I think that's very well said. Um, I know that, uh, you know, we kind of get our, you know, our days and our nights. Sometimes you get out and dream a little bit, uh, especially behind behind the wheel on the road. There's probably those opportunities where you're doing some daydreaming and thinking about some things. So I'm going to give you one of those things that maybe you haven't thought about or maybe you have. If you if you were in a situation where you're shipwrecked on an, on an island and um, you've got your basic human needs are met, you know, you've got food and you've got water and uh, there's a roof over your head, you know, something you've constructed. Maybe you've got a, I don't know, a volleyball named Wilson or something. <laughs> <laughs> what two items would you want to have beyond those those basic needs? What are the two things you need to have? That I would need to have? Um, pencil and paper. Is that right? What would you do with those two items? Because then you have time. You would have time to relax, meditate, and think. And then write those down. Okay. And, you know, you can, you can be the obscurest little thing, and it, the thought process that you would have at the time could be, I would think, would be amazing. So you would, would that translate into a book for you down the road? You know, get some publishing rights? And <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but it might be just the idea that you, chronological, the little things that you know in the future you'll probably forget mm-hmm. that you may want to relive. Okay. And it might be something very small, but if you have that note there, it'll remind you. Yeah. It's the tease yeah. that would. Well, I, I, you know, certainly the older you get, the more you realize how much you're forgetting. But <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, in terms of the last gift you gave someone, what was it? Uh, I gave a, uh, I made a cutting board 
uh, out of some exotic woods and did some engraving in it as a wedding gift. So they would have it. And then uh, also with that, I because of uh, they're in the bowling business, I got a uh, uh, I had some old lane material that I had stored away and made them just a little stool and engraved the uh, um, the name of the bowling center on it as well. So they all, could the, have all that work done with your hands. Yeah, I awesome. I just uh, have a little woodworking shop. That's kind of my okay my hobby. That and environmental issues of how do we how do we convert something into nothing mm-hmm. and, and nothing into something that we're going to have you know that won't hurt our environment right right so do you spend a lot of time outside the truck woodworking or is that just something that you reserve that for special occasion no i i spend a lot of time doing the woodworking i i've made like uh, some separate little windmills i have some patents that i'm working on uh, so that they are highly efficient, the energy-wise stuff. Um, I'm working with a group out of Norway. There's a group of PhDs with, that uh, I'm the only American, and well, I should say, I'm yeah, I'm the only American. The other guy is American in, in Norwegian. He introduced me to these guys, and we're we're working on some stuff that is uh, hopefully in the future it will solve part of our energy needs, so that uh, it's. It's carbon neutral. It's one of those things where could we have done it before? Why aren't we doing it now? Right. Type of things. Simple stuff, but it's uh, it. The energy industry is huge, and how do you take the pollution out of it? And you know, it's like a way one bite at a, one bite yeah. at a time. So yeah, yeah. This I is just a little that. piece of that. This is just a little piece of that, and we're hopefully we can change part of the world in the future sometime. I know I've spent a little bit of time here recently. I stumbled on a show, and, and uh, I'll watch it in little bits and pieces here and there, but uh, it's it's all about kind of building and living off the grid, and, and um, it always amazes me that the first thing is solar. It's always the first thing that people look at in terms of that energy and, and how, how you bank that power to be able to use to, to run, you know, whatever small place that, that, that those folks are building on that particular show. Um, the one thing you never see is the solar side, or the, I'm sorry, the, the wind power side of things. Well, yes, and that's, it, it, that is very interesting because um, solar has both, a, I believe that you need a combination. Um, the wind and the solar, the solar, you know, what do you do if it's cloudy out? Right. Well, yes, you get some power from that. Right. And it's just like saying, what do you do when there's no wind? Um, part of it is is just it's capital cost. It's just in how long do you want it to work. The same with using hydropower. We have thousands of streams and rivers here that could be dammed up or already have dams on them. Why aren't we just attaching a generator to them? Mm-hmm. And, and harnessing that harnessing yeah. that. Even though it won't be, you know, 10%. But if it's one percent, and it lasts five hundred years, it it helps that footprint. And that's yeah. that's your point. I yeah. think is yeah. it, it really helps that footprint you know, that, that that we're leaving behind, so that our children, grandchildren have a have a better environment than the, the yeah. environment that we're not we trying have. to we're not trying to build a Hoover Dam exactly. or the, Coo- or the <laughs> Cooley Dam. Although you know? pretty impressive. Yeah. Oh, very impressive. <laughs> pretty impressive. Um, what? 
what what or who would you say are kind of the most influential people you know it, it could be at any time frame for you who who influenced you the most and what did they bring to the table for you the uh, person that probably influenced me the most was when I was going to college is a guy by the name of Professor Mowen. He had uh, been in World War II. It was a German history class. Okay. And his perspective of life uh, being at that time, I believe he was probably in his early 60s, and uh, it was just his perspective of life of how things came about within the German culture how people handle things differently, adversity, um, and just his life perspective of, you know, I'm short, fat, bald, which I am now. <laughs> Welcome <laughs> to the club, yeah, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, he was, and he was that way when I, there, and just to hear his perspective of how things went, because he was actually from the, uh, he had got, uh, just after D-Day, went on the beaches, and all the way through the Battle of the Bulge, and all the things that he had seen, and I actually had the opportunity to have a few beers with him after class a few times, and it was just interesting things of how the real world, when it got to be, the difference of the peoples and the cultures of Americans versus how the Germans thought versus how the Russians, when they actually met up with them, and just how devastating the world was at that time and how grateful I am for being here in America, yeah. to be an American compared yeah. to uh, some of the other things in the world. I see constant and hear constant reminders of, um, you know, as far as us being American, that we think that everywhere else is just like America is. We take a lot of things for granted, right? So when you get introduced to someone um, like that, that that comes from that different background, that different set of cultures, and had exposure to then other cultures, that that education and information that they can bring to the table, it's always kind of um, a bit of a gut check for me when I run into those individuals or you hear that statement that, well, because Americans think it's this way here, that it's this way everywhere, and it's just not. And that, those perspectives, I think, are, are valuable. Yeah, it... Uh um, yeah, it was. It was uh, one of the things that, uh, uh, speaking of being in other cultures, um, while I was going to college, I, I got recruited to go into the Marine Corps, and I went down to, I was going to become a Marine officer, and then got recruited to do another job. And while I was going to college, I became a, let's say, a contractor, bounty hunter, to go hunt drug dealers in other countries. Okay. And that was, that is a shock. Uh, when you see that, it's there's nothing. It will make you, when you get off the plane, you really want to kiss. <laughs> it, Realize what you've got, yeah, right? Compared to what other people have or yeah. don't have. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you don't even have to go that far. I mean, you can just take the trip to Mexico and you'll see what that's all about. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. just the beginning, right? That, yeah. Further south you go. What's something you're not very good at, John? Being humble. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's okay. uh, That's okay. If you've got a lot to be proud of. Yeah, well, you know, and and it's a, uh, what I'm really not good with sometimes is listening. Not listening to the full story. You know, Mm -hmm. only, 
just getting the bits and pieces and only listen to what you want to listen to. Too. Right. And it's cherry picking it a little. Yeah, always. And yeah, that's I, th- I think that's you know the the self awareness of, of statements like that though, that's an important piece. That's something that you learn through time on earth, your your growth, and um, yeah, I think it's important that you're you're respectful of that. That you know, okay, that's a shortcoming. I, you know, those types of things. I'm always in that mode where I want to make sure my point is heard and that you you hear what I have to say and my perspective on it. And it's just as important, probably more so, to kind of sit back and relax and listen a little bit. So it, I, I, um, if, if you found something I'm not very good at, there, that's, that would be my answer to that particular question. Um, I, I want to make sure that, you know, through this process, one of the big things that we had um, envisioned with this podcast was that we'd be able to give at least a forum for drivers to have some conversation about the things that are impacting them or that most matter to them at this particular time. And some of the things that you had shared with us were things like truck cameras, pre- and post-trip, repairs, human trafficking. So, I mean, there's a a pretty wide variety of, of different items that are all affecting us in different ways in this industry behind the wheel. Um... What what uh, t- two or three things do you really want to talk about today from that, f- from those things that you really are concerned with, and and uh, how can we bring those to light? Well, the, the human trafficking thing that bothers me, you know, my heart goes out to those people, um, but I'd like to get a sign on my <laughs> on my truck that says "Don't knock," mm-hmm. I, because you know, I. There's, there's, unless you're really going to go out and do something about it, there's not much I feel I can do. Even though you can call the police or whatever, um, I just believe that society has to change and get more righteous mm-hmm. against these people who are trafficking them. And I mean, really righteous. Well, what I see, what I see at this point is um, number one there's a massive acknowledgement that this is a serious, serious problem. We live, you know, right in the backyard of one of the toughest areas for, for trafficking because of the lanes that we live in uh, up in Toledo, Ohio. It's, it, it's prevalent, and, and it's there. It's in your face. Um, so I think those efforts start where they have started, the right way, uh, in terms of, okay, let's get this message out. Let's have this number that we can call. Let's um, make sure there's something on the side of the truck so that individual who has been taken advantage of at least knows, okay, here's an opportunity for me to maybe get out of this industry. You know, I hate to even call it an industry because it it is. It's disgusting. Um, Yeah, and I agree with that. I mean, again, I would like to see more signage on our trucks, mm -hmm. on the tractors as well as the trailers. That's the – it's got a – I just I, I revolt against that. I just hate that. I just yeah. I just it's it's beyond disgusting in my. Well, you know, it's humans thinking. owning humans. It's human humans behaving less than human, and that's the that's the um, the atrocity there. And you're just destroying someone's life and devaluing that life so much that um, I don't know. I I have a hard time with that as well, John. I I, I, I yeah. get where you're coming from. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, that's just part of it. Yeah. So cameras, what do you think? 
No. <laughs> no. No. What's, I, what's your thoughts? My, well, my thoughts are two things. One, um, I have a brother-in-law that works for another large trucking company. Okay. And he's a driver. And uh, they had a terrific accident. And uh, he's friendly with a lot of the supervision of it. And uh, they had a driver that died and it was on camera. And mm. part of the lawsuit required the terminal managers, upper management, and all supervisors to watch that video of him dying. Oh, no kidding. It was part of the court settlement. Unbelievable, but it was confidentiality agreements, and you know how those sometimes work. Mm -hmm. But there were people within the company that were just revolted. They had secretaries that were required to watch this happen. So I'm against, yeah, the cameras are, um, uh, I, I don't like the idea when the light, when the camera's on, the light comes on, and that is a distraction. Mm -hmm. That's uh uh, one of the major things that I think is is wrong. Uh, it's not wrong. It's just I I don't know how you how you cure it exactly. Right. That's the so the it's not the camera itself. You're just thinking more along the lines of the distraction of it when it's when it's functioning. Yes. Okay. Besides, I don't want somebody watching picking my nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know that the the tough the tough piece to that is from you know and I know you know both sides of this issue, the tough piece to that is when we get into a situation, we have, you know, we have those situations that come up in this industry where a driver's flat out just wrongly accused of this or that, whatever that case may be. And so if you have a vehicle that has the cameras on the outside, the cameras down the side of the truck or in the, the, the rear of the truck and can capture everything, when that goes to court, and the question becomes, okay, yes, we're seeing all this, but did the driver fall asleep? Did the driver pick up a, his or her cell phone? Did the driver, was it, were they somehow distracted, changing the radio, doing something they shouldn't have been doing that would complete that total picture of what's going on out there and be the difference then between, you know, a $9 million lawsuit or, okay, no harm, no foul here. This, this wasn't a driver issue. Um, that's pretty significant, you know, from the from the company standpoint. That's a significant piece. But I think your point is at what cost, you know, the, the, what's, the, what's that personal side of things? What's the cost there? Well, and I think that if you're looking all, everywhere but in the cab, that should be able to tell the story without it. Because what the driver does in the cab, he turned his head because he went to look at his mirrors. Well, now, does that exonerate the driver mm -hmm. or not? So there, to me, I don't think the camera in the cab is a total exoneration thing. Um, no, and it, it, because that, that door swings both ways. Right, because the Be guy could have been on the phone. Yeah, the guy could, could, could have been on the phone or the gal could have been on the phone, could be in a situation where they took their hands off the steering wheel, you know, any number of things. But I guess it completes the picture, you know. So from that perspective... Now you know full circle, okay, this is what did happen, this is what went on, and we can deal with whatever that is at that point. Right now we get into situations, I, the, here's what kind of changed my mind about cameras in total, because this has been, uh, it's been a long conversation for this organization, there's many organizations now that have them. I have a dear friend of mine, he works for another trucking company, um, they put they put in um, uh, cameras a few years back, mm -hmm. and it was you know, hellfire and brimstone, you know, p pounding on the table. I'm going to quit this job. I can't believe these, you know, and here we are several years later. It was more than three or it's probably been four or five years now. He's still there. Camera's still on him. No problem, you know. 
But that conversation for me stopped being uh, so anti. Not that I'm saying you are, I'm, but I'm just saying what, what really proved it to me was one simple instance. We had at one time, we had a, a very regular lane that we ran. We had a driver that went through a toll booth, was getting off of uh, the turnpike. Came through um, after uh, after the pre-pass let him through, and uh, an SUV, a big black SUV, uh, was going through at the same time. It appeared like he just wasn't even paying attention at all and came across on the driver's right-hand side to the left-hand side and hit the truck. Um, that driver, obviously, and the and the driver of the SUV were off to the side of the road. State Highway Patrol comes over, gets the the SUV's perspective first, as mm-hmm. you know sometimes that can happen, and then comes over to the driver and lets him know that you know he's being accused of of hitting that SUV. Well, this particular driver had mounted a camera in the truck of, of his own accord. He just wanted to make sure that things were getting documented out there shows this to the police officer as clear as day you can see that the suv was in the wrong and he says okay thank you sir have a nice day and let him go (laughs) so you know that's certainly the advocacy for the truck the 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 camera on the exterior of the truck oh and i agree with that 100 percent. cameras should be all the way around on the outside but then the other side of it let's say this the situation was different and uh, there was a little bit of a, a lane crossing there and it could have been it could have went either way and the question becomes okay well was that driver even looking were they paying attention um were they fiddling with their phone? Were they taking some medication at the thing? You know, all these different things that you could be accused of out there. And it just uh, eliminates that the question of it, whether yep. it's the driver's fault or not. Because, you know, we're not perfect either. We're professional, but we're not always perfect, right? Right. Uh, it's, it's a challenging, challenging discussion, uh, one that I've kind of wrestled with over the years pretty heartily because you want to make the right choices. Um, for both the driver and for the company, you got to protect both sides of the house. With yep, that. It, it is. It's challenging. It is. <laughs> There's no easy answer on that one. So, just stepping back a minute to um, your beginnings in trucking, um, the things that you've picked up along the way, what you've learned, the hacks. Um, you know, like we were talking about early in the manufacturing world, the, the things that you've looked at that okay, we could be doing this differently. Um, are there some tools or resources for you that you've picked up along the way that um, you feel like, okay, if, if you do this and this or you have this tool or this thing, it, it helps to make that job a little bit easier or at least helps you in some way? The biggest thing that has helped is doing your pre-trip and doing your post-trip. Those are the, to me, those are the uh, in the following distance. And, and why do you the, say that? The, the pre-trip and post-trip, what? What, what makes that a, a good resource for you? The, the pre-trip is simply that I know I got a problem, <laughs> okay, before I even get started, so I don't get stranded somewhere for it. Right. And that's, to me, that is it, it the seems most like honest and selfish answer you can give to that question, right? But that's the way I felt out on the road. I just don't want to get stuck somewhere where I got to now. I got to worry about going to a shop or I got to go here and do this. And it's going to inconvenience me. It's going to take time away from my day and things, you know, me making the miles I need to make. Yeah, and it also protects you. 
Absolutely. That's the Absolutely. that's the thing. No tickets. <laughs> right. You know that's that to me was the is just the the thing. The same with the post trip is, okay, I've got a tire that's going down. Well, now I can just be parked and have somebody change it while I'm sleeping. Mm-hmm. You know those type of things. That's it. And the following distance, uh, that has saved my butt so many times, with the stuff that has just happened. You know they did that close call that doesn't have to be close. Mm-hmm. And uh, because you do have close calls out oh, there, a bunch of them, right? Yep, and and so the 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 one thing that's ingrained upon myself, I, is man, I don't want to ever have that happen again. Mm-hmm. And so I just have that following distance, have that seven seconds. <laughs> it's just it's just not worth it. Well, I think one thing that was uh, that I kind of gleaned pretty quickly to kind of that your point um, with the following too close and. It's that um, you know, drivers. You know, as soon as the as soon as the clock starts, you're. It's like an hourglass. That thing's running, and when you run out of the sands of time, there, you better be where you're supposed to be because, that's all you got time to do for the day. Thanks for playing. Have a nice day. Yep. Come again tomorrow. One of the things that I did learn though, pretty quickly, even with that in mind. There was a uh, an older gentleman uh, that worked for our organization. And um, we were doing uh, 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 the same run. And uh, his times were earlier than my times typically and, and usually never saw the guy. But I'd run into him every once in a while as I'm passing him. You know, in our trucks, you know, they, they're, they're regulated, they're governed. He would keep his truck at um, about five miles above the speed limit and um, rode that way all the time. Just that was his, that was his mode. And his whole thought process was there, I'll get there when I get there. And it, it keeps that buffer that you're talking about, you know, that following too closely thing can really get you into some trouble out there. Because just because you have 18 wheels doesn't mean you have 18 brakes that are going to stop you faster, Exactly. Right? And uh, so for me, I know that that was a, a quick lesson to learn. Um, that, okay, you know, if I just lay back a little bit, I'm not competing with traffic at that point, right? Yep. I've got everybody else passing me, and it's one less threat that I have out on the road. So I, I think that's an invaluable point uh, as far as this, the stopping distance, increasing all of that, now following too closely. It's that's a healthy way, healthy way to drive a truck. Yeah, and you, you know, I get home. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about at the end of the day. We don't want to hurt anybody else, and we don't want to hurt ourselves. And I, I believe every driver feels that way. Yep. What uh, What would you say at this point in trucking? What's your favorite memory? What's the, what's the coolest thing, the best thing that's happened to you? Um, I was driving through Chicago and hit black ice. And uh, the truck was actually going, it was early morning. Uh, there's five or six lanes on, uh, on I-94 when it goes through downtown Chicago and I was going sideways and I lived <laughs> most memorable that a, accident that I didn't have was there a change of diapers at, at there, that moment or? lots of changes yeah yeah I imagine uh, because it uh, you know I, I wasn't doing more than 35 miles an hour there was no traffic uh, but it was just it was probably the most it was the most memorable thing that ever happened and then the, a gentleman on the CB came and coming the uh, other way and said 
way to pick it up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, because uh, Stay with it. Yeah, because it was just uh, absolutely looking at the concrete wall on the side of the road, and and the whole truck had swung around and was facing it, and then uh, steered out of it. And it was just that quick. Wow. And it was uh, so that's the most memorial, and I'm I'm alive to. You're alive to tell so the story. It's a, so it's the best memory that uh, you know, even though. Uh, I thought I was at a safe speed still. Uh, it just doesn't matter. Well, closing this out on, on the most positive note that I can think of, what would you say your best tip is for making the world a better place? Take a nap. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's my motto. <laughs> that's the, uh, to make the world a better place, I think uh, realize that we're not alone that the other peer, the person is there and there's other people and you just have the respect for them. I think that's a great place that's to all. be. Great place to be. John, I really appreciate all the time you spent with me today. Thanks so much and uh, we'll, we'll see you beyond the cab. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>